Turn your Bibles to Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 through 2. We're reading in the Amplified. Now, you know, I started uh, a message a couple of weeks ago talking a little bit about, you know, we talked about why don't I have what I'm believing for right now, and we talked about the fact that if you don't have what you're believing for right now, you know, either you're not doing something right, you know, or you're not ready for it. And we talked about that, right? And I wanted to go from the angle of not being ready for it yet. And so I started with Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 through 2, and it says, um, now what I mean when I talk about children and their guardians is this. As long as the heir is a child, he does not differ at all from a slave, even though he is the future owner and master of the whole estate. But he is under the authority of guardians and household administrators or managers until the date set by his father when he is of legal age. You know, so I started there that uh, the other week, and I said, you know, this was a bomb that I dropped. <laughs> but I mentioned the fact that you have to be prepared and processed to believe to receive the things and the blessings of God. We have to go through a preparation. We have to go through process. You don't get you don't just get something. You know, you have to be prepared for it. You have to be processed for it. Nobody takes a million dollars and gives it to a five-year-old. Why? Because they're not prepared for it. They're not ready for it. They're not processed for it. You know, that will not be turned over until they're of a legal age when they're able to manage and handle something that great, right? And then I start talking about the fact that the more crucial your work is, or the greater the thing that you're believing for is, the longer your process oftentimes takes, right? You just, you, you know, God wants to make sure that you won't lose it due to mismanagement. So if you're going to get something from God, and I'm not talking about you can go out and you can get your own thing. And you can, you can bypass God and do your own thing. But if you want to get something from God, he's going to make sure that you're prepared and processed for it. And I was talking about the fact that, see, God does not allow you to skip grades. He does not allow you to bypass steps. You know what I'm saying? You can't take three, four steps at a time. It's one step at a time. You know, and, you know I know in schools today, they just kind of get the, I want my, let's get these kids out of here. Let's just pass them to the next grade. They're not prepared for nothing. And then they get to the next grade and they don't know how to handle, you know, that next grade. You cannot do multiplication if you don't know addition and subtraction first, right? You have, you have to learn, it, it's building blocks. Everything is built upon another thing. You learn this and then you learn the next thing, right? And the same thing goes with us walking with God. And that's why he wants to, he prepares you through smaller things. The process of God is little by little. Jesus said, he that is faithful in that which is least will be faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in least will be also unjust also in much. So God starts you with something little. He sees how you handle it. Then you're ready for that next step. If you can't handle an apartment, God's not just going to give you a house. Because it takes a whole lot more to handle a house than it does an apartment. And if you can't manage that, you're not ready to manage a house, right? If you can't take care of the little hoop ride that God blessed you with, you know what I'm saying? You know, they give these kids, you know, Mercedes Benz and stuff like that. I'm like, are you, are you crazy? Like, you know how crazy a kid is with driving? If he's going to go crazy, let him drive a Nova. Right. Right. <laughs> Let him drive a Camry or something like that. Let, 
Let them drive some kind of crazy hoop ride if they're going to, you know, get crazy and drive like they're nuts, you know? Don't give them an expensive car. They need to, they need to become, they need to mature into that. And see, that's how the things are with God. He wants you, he, see, he, he wants to mature us into being able to handle what he really wants to get. It's not, so I said, I said the other week, it's not because God doesn't love us. It's not because God wants to withhold something, you know, that will be that you would enjoy or be good for you and stuff like that. No, he wants to make sure that you're able to handle it. The reason why, you know, he started talking to, to Israel and he told him, I'm not going to give you the land all at once. He says, I'm going to give it to you little by little. He said, because if I give it to you all at once, the land, it, it, it would be too much for you to handle. And then wild beasts will start going, will start multiplying. And, and it would not be a blessing for you. So he says, I'm going to give it to you little by little until you're able to handle the whole thing. There's gradual accumulation that God wants to do. Can you say amen? amen. So, you know, I started talking about the law of process or becoming. And I said that the law of process or becoming states that you can't just be something, but you can become it through the law of process. Right. For example, you just can't decide you're going to be a surgeon and start cutting people open tomorrow. <laughs> you can't do that. <laughs> can't do that. But you can become a surgeon through the law of process. Right? If you're willing to go through the process to become a surgeon, you can. You just can't say, bless God, I'm a pilot, and just get in the plane and start flying. You can't do that. But if you want to, you can become a pilot right? through the law of process. Right. You can you can uh, take those hours. You can get your training. You know, you go. I mean, they take you through. They take you through all of these simulations before you even set your your, your butt in the plane. Right. <laughs> you you got to do all of this simulated stuff first. Yeah. You know, there's a whole process that's involved. So you can become it, but you got you got to be willing to go through the process. So whatever you're believing for from God is it's available to you because Jesus paid the price for it. But you got to be, but God's not just going to give it to you unless you go through the process. Before Joseph was made, Joseph wasn't just made, you know, the prime minister of Egypt. He went through a process. First, he had to manage Potiphar's house. Then he had to manage the prison, right? All of those areas prepared him for being able to manage the kingdom. You know, you got to be willing to go. David, you know, he was anointed as king, but it was it was 17 years later before he became 13 to 7, 13 to 17 years later before he actually became. king. He went through a process here. He's a shepherd boy. He don't know nothing about the kingdom. So God first gives him favor. With the king of Israel and he becomes his armor bearer and he starts serving him and he starts playing for him, getting the devil off his back. Then he starts having favor with Jonathan, and Jonathan starts teaching him about the kingdom. Because you got this certain way you got to act in the kingdom. You can't act like a shepherd boy in the kingdom. So he was trained. He lived in the palace, and he was trained how to operate. And then he had to go on a run, and then he had to learn how to train people that were nobodies. The Bible says people came to him that was broke. They was discontent. I mean, he didn't give them super people. He gave them people that were struggling. 
And he had, to, he had to train those people. And once he was able to train those people into mighty men, then God started sending him people that could really help him. And then little by little, the kingdom was transferred over to him. Then he became the king of just Judah prior to becoming the king over all of Israel. So he spent seven years ruling just over Judah. So it's a process. But we don't, we, don't, we don't want process. We just want God to give it to us. But if God just gave it to you, it would, it would happen to you like what happens to most people that hit the lottery. They lose everything. Why? Because they don't know how to handle it. You couldn't handle 100 bucks. How are you going to handle 100 million? <laughs> whatever, whatever you do, whatever you do with a little bit of money is a direct correlation to what you would do if you had a lot of it. So if you blow a little bit of money, if you had a lot of money, you would just blow it to a greater degree. Right? You're blowing it on shoes now. You'll be blowing it on mansions. <laughs> you know, you'll still be blowing it, but to a greater degree. It's amazing. Most people that hit the lottery go completely broke. How do you get $100 million and go broke? Because it's not about how much money you have. It's about how well you can manage it. All right. I don't think my message is going over well this morning. But that's all right, because I'm going to keep going with it. Now, what I wanted to get into today was this. I've been trying to go through different things. I talked about being prepared for promotion. We talked about that, right? Um, today, we're going to talk about preparing for relationships. So this is not just for those that are not married, but it will help you. But those even that aren't, that are married, because some of these principles will, will be very helpful. Now, I remember, before I get into this, when me and Pastor Tanya first got together. Now, first of all, let's go back further than that. When I first got saved, right, I mean really walking saved. Now, I gave my life to Jesus when I was 16, but then I just couldn't give up the life. And so I just, I still was living like the devil, you know. So, you know, when I turned 24, God was hot after me from 16 to 24. I mean, he was on my heels, man. You know, so I finally surrendered. When I turned 24, I said, okay, I'm going to serve God. That's it. So I remember I came home. I won't go into that story, but I came home. And I'm going to date myself. I had this big box. It was full of mixtapes. <laughs> All the tapes. <laughs> Not CDs, tapes. All of these hip-hop, R&B stuff on it, I threw it all in the garbage. right? And then I had this drawer. Back then, they didn't have smartphones like that. So they had, I had a whole drawer full of girls' telephone numbers. And I opened the drawer, <laughs> and I threw, these, I threw all these girls' telephone numbers away. I said, I'm going to live for God, right? But I, let, I kept this one number. Because <laughs> it was a girl, I knew she was a Christian, you know? And I said, man, I'm, I'm, I'm saved now, man. I got to get married, man. I said, I can't, I can't, I can't. I need a wife now, you know? Because I'm trying to think of how, you know, and I want to be, you know, vulgar, but I start thinking, I don't know how I'm, I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it. Because uh -huh, right. I was used to, you know, being out there. <laughs> so I was like, I was like, no. I was like, I got to get married, man. I was like, I can't, I can't, I can't survive like this, you know? So I called this girl, you know? <laughs> I, said, I said, hey, you know? <laughs> I said, hey, you know? 
you gonna be my wife, you know. <laughs> I can't afford the girl, you know. <laughs> and so we start dating. Not Pastor Tanya, by the way. We start dating, you know. And, you know, I almost got married to the girl. I'll never forget, you know, we got engaged and stuff like that, everything. You know, I used to go see her parents and but God really but God used that relationship because her her uncle was a pastor. And they were real prophets. And they prophesied what I'm doing now. I never I wasn't thinking about pastoring the church, man. I just thought about saying, I'm gonna live safe. I need to get married. I said, I'm gonna make a lot of money and I'm gonna bless the kingdom. That's what I thought. I don't think nothing about pastoring no church. <laughs> so they prophesied that over me. And here I am with this girl, you know, and she was great. I mean, she was, there was nothing wrong with her, but I found out that, you know, <laughs> just because somebody's saved doesn't mean they're for you. Amen. Amen. And so we're together, you know, and I felt in my heart. Now, I'm, I'm fresh off the world, and I'm really starting to walk with God now, you know. And I felt in my heart, I said, if I pray, for God to remove this woman from me, if she's not God from me, I think he's going to take her. And so I didn't pray that. <laughs> I didn't. I'm going to be very honest with you. I didn't pray. And I remember one day we got into this big argument, you know. <laughs> and, um, you know, I won't even get into why, but we had this big argument. And bottom line is, you know, she got so mad at me, she left out. And I said, God, in my anger. I said, God, if she's not the one for me, I pray that you separate us as far as the east is from the west in Jesus' name. <laughs> and I mean, I, I got to before God, I tell you no lie. Not two weeks, not two weeks after I prayed that prayer, we were done. I, to this day, I can't even tell you exactly why, other than I prayed that prayer. <laughs> I mean, you know, it was and it was over. And I'm like, wow, you know, that's crazy, you know. So Anyway, I'm, I, I'm back in the field now. I'm, I'm, you know, trying to figure out how I'm going to get married again, you know. Because, <laughs> again, I felt like I couldn't make it. But God had me, you know, I mean, literally wait like five years. It's completely celibate. Because I thought I would never make it. But he wanted to show me that with his grace, I can make it. You know what I'm saying? And I wound up meeting Pastor Tanya, because I remember saying, I said, God, I said, I understand. Even if I'm not ready, I said, I just want to know who my wife is, right? <laughs> I pray these wild prayers sometimes, you know. So anyway, I'm going to, I went to her church. Now our church, she was going to Bishop Barber's church in Newark, right? And uh, she was there. She was Bishop Barber's armor bearer. So I'm there. I don't know who she is. And I remember, I'll never forget, you know, somebody was testifying. I'm sitting in the front. Somebody was testifying. And they started talking about this woman who, you know, she didn't have no job, but she was so encouraging and she was blessing, helping her and stuff like that. And then I just heard this hallelujah coming from the back. It's like, my God. I was like, I turned around, you know, and I saw my wife. And I said, all that praise coming out of that little woman. You know, my wife was so small. She was like 90-something pounds when I first met her, you know. I was like, my God, you know. So anyway. After service, I come up to her, not to talk to her, not to try to get with her, but she needed a job, and my job was hiring. So I told her about the job, and I said, well, if you send me your resume, maybe I can give it over to them. So anyway, I called her, and I said, I see you don't have medical experience on here. They needed medical experience. I said, you don't have medical experience. I said, but we're, I'm going to believe we don't believe God. 
And I started praying with her, right? That's what cemented it. When she heard me pray, she was like, oh, man, you know? <laughs> she probably watching now. <laughs> but I prayed for her. I prayed, you know? She didn't get the job, but... <laughs> But that prayer, though, we stopped, after that, we, we got close, started becoming friends, stuff like that, and we were just on the phone all the time. And we developed a real solid friendship, you know? And um, I remember when, we, when, I, when I decided, I said, okay, I wanna, we, need, we should get married. Maybe a year into us being together, right? And so I said, let's take out Bishop Barbara, talk to her, you know? I want to tell her my intentions, you know? So she said, okay. We took her to this fancy restaurant, this you know, place, you know, we're going to wine her and dine her. <laughs> Get her happy so she could tell us yes, you know. We sit down with her, you know, after we finish eating. And she says, well, go ahead. Well, what you want to ask me? I know you got me out here for something, you know. So I told her, I said, yeah, you know, I want to, you know, I want to get married to her. She said, y'all ain't ready. <laughs> I was like, of course, we're going to be honorable and respectful inside. I'm burning up, right? <laughs> she said, no, not ready. She said, y'all need to wait. <laughs> So I remember she said to us, she said, you need to tell everybody, you need to tell each other everything. Everything. Come clean about everything. I was like, okay. So I remember I did some things in my past that I'm not proud of. Some things that, you know, I'm, I'm even ashamed right now if I wouldn't even testify about. Unless God really told me I had to, I wouldn't even. I did some things, you know. But I had to come clean. Right, so I said, okay. I said, well, God, if, um, if she leaves, then I guess she ain't to run. I said, but I'm gonna tell her everything. So I came clean, she, claimed, she came clean, and we still, we were like, okay, well, that's, that's it, okay. <laughs> and we just kind of kept moving from there, you know? We, but we came clean. So, I mean, I'm, I'm preaching right now. I'm giving steps right now about things that you need to do to get prepared, right? You need to talk to each other, you need to come clean. Because I found out that if you don't talk about things that happened in your past, they will come back and they'll haunt you. And then somebody will get married to you thinking one thing about you and then find out something else. And then it'll seem like your marriage was a lie. So if you don't come out, so come clean, you know, just whatever, and then let the chips fall where they may. If, they're not, if they don't stay in there with you, then they're not for you. But we did that. You know, and then we had to wait. We waited a solid three and a half years before we got married. And the next time I asked Bishop Barbara, she said, yeah, y'all ready now. And then we moved forward. And, but during that time, I remember, i never forget, this couple was about to get married. And on the day that they was about to get married, they canceled it. I'm talking about everybody's there in the sanctuary. And they canceled the wedding. <laughs> and God spoke to me. Right then and there, he said, you can do the right thing at the wrong time. And this was in the process of me and Pastor Tanya, you know, waiting. He said, you can do the right thing at the wrong time. He said, you know, yes, that's the one that's for you. But if you get married at the wrong time, you know what I'm saying? You can have a whole lot of mess in your marriage that you wouldn't have had you waited for you both to be ready. And so, you know, we got married, right? The rest is history. We've been married now. It will be 20 years. And uh, in this August, will be 20 years. 
pretty amazing, you know? I, it's like, it's like, it's like yesterday, like, it just like, it just flew by. But you know, we're still best friends. We still talk on the phone three, four, five times a day. <laughs> I mean, you know, where we're, we have a strong, solid, beautiful relationship, you know, but I know it's because we chose to wait and we did not rush into things, you know? So, all right. So now I wanted to share that story with you, but now I'm going to get into some things. You guys ready? I'm sure you can. I mean, I, I should sit down. I should have you guys preach. How long have you guys been married? Yeah, you. <laughs> 37 years. That's what I'm talking about. All right, man. You know, I tell you, man, <laughs> that's who I want to hear from, right? Somebody tell me I've been married for one year. <laughs> Let me tell you about marriage. I'll be like, are you kidding me? You got to be married at least a little bit longer than me for you to start sitting down telling me something about some marriage. Like, yeah, go through something first. I've been right. married five minutes. I'm writing a book. These people, man, they get married. They, stay, they on shows, counseling people. I'm like, are you serious? Like, I wouldn't listen to nothing they had to say. And then they, six months later, they, they divorced. After they wrote all these books on marriage, staying together. And you're listening to it. All right, let me just. <laughs> so if you want to tell me something, I'll listen to it later. <laughs> 37 years? My God, that's what I'm talking about. So yeah, we'll be 20 this, you know, this year. Pretty crazy, man. Pretty amazing, man. Yeah, God be the glory. We got married when I was two, you know. <laughs> so... <laughs> So, so first of all, I'll mention this, you know, um, I've learned, you know, that there are, you have to understand different hierarchy of needs in marital relationships, right? And, uh, and again, this is for those that's married and those that, you know, are believing God to be married. I'm talking about being prepared, processed for this thing, right? So in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 31 through 33. It says, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall be joined and be faithfully devoted to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. And it says, this mystery of two becoming one is great. But I am speaking with reference to the relationship of Christ and the church, right? Because the marital relationship is, is, is an allegory or is a, is a, is a synonym, synonym to Christ and the church. And it says, however, each man among you, without exception, is to love his wife as his very own self, with behavior worthy of respect and esteem, always seeking the best for her with an attitude of loving kindness. Now, again, I'm reading the Amplified Version. And the wife must see to it that she respects and delights in her husband, that she notices him, prefers him, and treats him with loving concern, treasuring him, honoring him, and holding him dear. Right? So, um... There's a couple of real truths that we find in this particular scripture. First is this. The marital relationship, as far as God is concerned, it supersedes all other natural relationships. Even the relationship between parents and children. Now, the child is the parent's responsibility up until they get married, right? After that, husbands and wives are to care and provide for one another. Leaving their mother and father and cleaving the Bible says, to one another, or becoming one, one flesh. That, of course, doesn't mean that you throw your parents away or anything like that, or your family. 
It just means that your marital relationship now supersedes even that relationship. It's two people becoming one. I remember, I never forget, when um, one piece of marital advice that I received. <laughs> I never forget it. He said, this guy told me, he said, it's like two stars coming together. He said, either one or two things will happen. Either they'll merge and become one, or there'll be a cataclysmic explosion. That's exactly the truth. Either they're going to become one, or is it going to be a crazy explosion taking place? But the two are to become one flesh. They come together. Now, the second thing that I want to bring out is that husbands and wives, they have two very different primary needs in a relationship. Not to say they don't both have needs. Primary. As we see here, the husband, the Bible says, is supposed to love his wife as he loves himself. Right? Or as Christ loves the church. On the other hand, the wife is supposed to respect and honor her husband. Now, I don't want you to get me wrong when I say this. Both marital partners need and deserve both love and respect. But in the hierarchy of needs, man needs more respect than love. Right? Man is looking for respect to be honored. You know what I'm saying? Thank God for love, but we, we want to be honored. We want to be respected. And then, of course, wives need more love than respect. Of course, we both need both, right? But it's just a hierarchy of needs. And it's important that we understand this, because if you don't, then you, you'll, you'll, you'll love each other in ways that wind up being hurtful instead of helpful. So you need to understand these things. So I want to talk about preparing to become a wife. And then I'll talk about preparing to become a husband. And then I'll get ready to close. How about that? So Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 to 24, we find something here. It says, wives, be subject to or under the authority of your own husbands. Listen to this. As a service to the Lord. I'm going to get to that in a minute. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives should be also subject to their husbands and everything, respecting both their position as protector and their responsibility to God as the head of the household. Now, I'm going to say this right now. Ladies, if this scripture makes you mad, it rubs you the wrong way, you're not ready for marriage. You may want to be married, but you're not ready for a godly marriage. Because if you're mad at the scriptures pertaining to how God sees relationships, then you're not ready for a godly marriage. It got real quiet in this church. What's important to know here is that when you willingly submit to your husband, you're doing a service to the Lord. This is something that God is asking for you to do. You're showing that you respect the divine order that God has established in marital relationships. And I want to make this very clear. This act of submission is completely voluntary. Right? This is not something you're forced to do. This is a voluntary act. Just like when you submit yourself to the authority of your boss on your job. You don't have to do it, but you do it for a paycheck. In this instant, you do it because you're trying to do a service to the Lord. As a wife, you make the choice to submit, and you also get to decide 
who you're willing to submit to. I think, I think women miss this part. You have a right to decide who you're willing to submit to. Women oftentimes want to be married so bad that they'll get married to somebody that they're not willing to submit to. They'll get married to anybody because I don't want to be by myself. I don't want to be alone. So I get married to this person, but I can't see this person running my household. I can't see this person, you know, giving me, you know, direction. I can't see that. I'm leading him. Right? And if you can't see yourself being able to submit to somebody, you ought not get married to them. It's real quiet in here. Again, as a wife, you make the choice to submit, and you also decide who you're willing to submit to. And since this is a voluntary act, you should never again marry someone that you can't see yourself submitting to. Because again, submission is completely voluntary. You know, you, you know, you try to find, you know, I know they're not saved, but I'll get them saved. You know what I'm saying? Like, so now how are you supposed to spiritually lead your household? How are you supposed to tell you what he's hearing from God? He can't. You're leading him. You're, you're spiritually leading him. And if you feel like you can't respect a man because you make more money than him, right, you see yourself, I'm the breadwinner here. Then you ought not marry that man then, if you feel like that. Because all you're going to do is lord it over him. And you're going to act like the man in a relationship. And now you're out of order. And you wonder why there's mess in your house. All right, I'm digging into some things. So if you can't and you're unwilling to submit to anyone as a woman of God, again, you're not ready for marriage. I'm not doing that. You know, we got all of these Christian women that are now, you know, into this women liberation movement and stuff like that. And now, you know, they are now, you know, uh, well, I don't need no man. So this guy's just a companion now. I can't see him as my head of my household. He's just my companion, you know, somebody, so I ain't alone. I feel like I got to hide or something like that. <laughs> I, feel like, I feel like the women got stones in their pocket ready to start slinging them at me. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, mama. And so I said this, you know, I thought about this. I said, personally, personally, I don't want to do everything that God tells me I have to do. I don't know about you. I do it because I want to honor God and I want his blessings and favor on my life. So I don't want to do everything that God tells me that I have to do. I don't want to apologize to somebody that I want to slap. You know, I don't want to, you know, so I mean, there's, there's things that I don't want to do that God commands me to do, right? I, you know, I don't do them because I want to or because I feel like it or because I think that it's a good idea for me to do it. I do it because I know that it will honor God and that I want God's hand of blessing and favor on my life. I say that for the same purpose for women, right? I know you may not want, I don't want to submit. I don't want to do, but I do it as a service to the Lord. So I'm doing it to honor him. It honors God. That's why I do it. Not because I want to, but because I want to honor God. 
And I put it, not even Jesus wanted to do the will of God when it came to the cross. But he submitted his will to the will of God. Because of his submission to the will of God, he has now been highly exalted, the Bible said, and is now seated at the right hand of God. So if you're willing, you know, the Bible says that because, see, talking about submission, right? The word submission, it means to get underneath somebody else's mission. That's what it means, to submit, to get underneath someone else's mission and help them fulfill it, right? That's why the Bible says that Eve was his helpmeet. She was there to, uh, to help him meet his, meet his needs, right? She was there to help him. So Jesus, the Bible says, the reason why he was highly exalted was because of the fact, the Bible says in the Amplified, that he was, because he was willing to stoop so low, God has highly exalted him and given him a, a name that's above every, every name. Because he was willing to submit his will to the will of the fathers, God has highly exalted him. Came down, lowered himself to be him. He's God in the flesh. He's God. He lowers himself, puts flesh on and has to do everything we ought to do. Has to be hungry. He was never hungry before. Has to be, you know, has to be thirsty. He was never thirsty before. You know what I'm saying? He, he, didn't have to, he didn't have to go through all of that. But he did. He humbled himself and he submitted himself to the will of the Father so that, so that we could live, right? And so now God is saying, as women, that's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to submit your will to my will. I know you may not want to do that, but this is something that I'm asking you to do as a voluntary thing, of course, but I'm asking you to submit yourself. All right. I know that didn't go over super well, but I got something for the men, too. Don't worry about it. I'm not, the women ain't by themselves. <laughs> All right. Now they're like, yeah, get them. <laughs> get them, pastor. <laughs> I'm going to get the women back on my side in a minute. <laughs> so that's women, right? So, but husbands, right? The Bible says, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 through 30, husbands, love your wives. Seek the highest good for her and surround her with a caring, unselfish love. Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify the church, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word of God so that in turn he might present the church to himself in glorious splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy, set apart for God and blameless. Even so, husbands should and are morally obligated to love their own wives as being, in a sense, their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own body, but instead, he nourishes and protects and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members and parts of his body. Whew. My God, man. I know y'all feel it coming. First, I'm going to go back really quick to the woman's right to choose, because you should never marry someone that is not willing to give his life for you, as Christ gave his life for his bride, the church. Again, you got the right to choose. So if you choose somebody that's selfish, that's on you. Because you have the right to choose. If he's more concerned about himself than he is about you, then you're not making the right marital choice. 
Second, and this is for the man, if you're not willing to give up your life for her in an effort to make her better, then you're not ready and you're not fit to be her husband. Christ not only died for the church, but he also made the church better. With that being said, she should be better off than she was when you first met her because of you. So you should be in this, you know, to make her better. She's a part of you. You want her to do better. Yeah. Me and my wife got together. I encouraged her to go back. I know she had a dream of going, of going to school. I said, go. Go back to school. You're going to do great. Go. She needed that push. She had it in her heart, but she needed to push. You're going to do it. Don't worry about it. Just go. Go back to school. Get your degree. You know. Now she got her bachelor's since we've been together. Then she got her master's. Now she's a, a, a counselor, a licensed counselor. She had to do the work, but I had to give her that push. I wanted her to be better. I wanted her to, to, to fulfill her dreams. I wanted her to, you know, not, you know, just sit inside there and just, you know, just be in the house and just be a wife. You know, if that's what you want to do, you want to better, I want you to better yourself. That's what you want to do. So in other words, your goal should be to help her become the best version of herself. Which leads me to my last point. Men must have a healthy love for themselves. Why? Because husbands have been commanded to love their wives as their own bodies. So if you don't care and you don't love yourself, you'll never be able to love her right. I'm not talking about being conceited, but you should, but you should have a healthy love for yourself. Because if you don't, you never treat anybody else well, and you'll never treat your, your... See, a lot of people treat people bad because they don't like themselves. I guess they hurt people hurt people. You know, some people have a very low and poor self-esteem and stuff like that, and they can only treat you as good as they can treat themselves. So when you get married, your wife becomes a part of you, talking to men, right? So you should want her to look good. You should want her to feel good about herself. You should want her to do good and succeed in what she does, right? Why? Because she's a part of you. Her success is your success and vice versa. That's how it's supposed to be. And then that's so, bottom line is, again, that's another lesson for women. Never pick someone that has really low self-esteem. Again, if they don't like themselves, they'll never love you right. Now it's quiet on both sides. Everybody's uh, like, <laughs> I don't know. You guys all right with this? Is this is this all right? Is this true? All right, is it okay? Okay. The reason why I bring all of this up, right? Because people don't go through this process. They're not. They're not ready. They're not prepared for commitment. They're not ready for the long haul. They're not. They don't want to. They don't want commitment. You know, if you get, if you got a plan B, well, if it don't work, we just get divorced, right? That's plan B. That's not how, that's not how it's supposed to be in marriages. I'm going to keep giving you scripture because I want you to believe what I'm saying to you. I'm going to keep reading scripture to you. Matthew 19, verses 3 through 9. So the Pharisees came to Jesus, testing him and asking him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? I like the way the Amplified puts it. It, it, for just any reason, then he's just like, you know, I don't like her no more. 
I'm done. You know, like, just any reason? He replies, have you never read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined inseparably to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. You know, I've heard people say, and I'm going to get back to this in a second, but I've heard people say they've gotten divorces, that it's like being ripped apart. It's a reason for that, because in the spirit they are. Because they're one flesh. I don't care whether you stop liking the person or not, you think you don't love them or not, whatever. You have become one flesh, and when you separate from that person, it is, it's like you're being ripped apart. Whether you still like them or love them or not, you still feel like you've been ripped apart. Because you, you, cause you, you, are, you are joined to that person in the spirit. And it's supposed to be eternal. So the Bible says, so the Pharisee said to him, why then did, did Moses command us to give her a certificate of divorce and just send her away? He said to them, because your hearts were hard and stubborn. So Moses permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it has not been this way. And he says, I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. People don't talk about that no more. No, they don't want to talk about that no more. That being said, it's very obvious that Jesus doesn't believe in divorce for just any reason. Like they said, for just any reason, I like that. <laughs> now, I personally believe, I don't believe that you should stick around in a marriage if someone is beating you, abusing you, cheating on you, and stuff like that. But for some of the wishy-washy excuses that some people give for getting divorces these days, it's just not acceptable to God. Falling out of love is not a good enough reason for Jesus for you to get divorced. Not being happy is not a good enough reason for you to get a divorce, according to Jesus. I'm not talking about how you feel about it, how people feel about it. Growing apart is not a good enough reason for Jesus that you get a divorce. Not liking each other anymore is not a good enough reason for you to just get a divorce. When you get married, God expects you to be committed through the good, the bad, and the ugly. And marriages are going to experience them all. Ain't no way you're going to be married to somebody for 20 years and, oh, we've just been happy every day. Never have any kind of problems. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. You're lying. <laughs> you still get in it every once in a while. We just had a good one about a week ago. <laughs> we had a good one in a while. I was just like, what? Like, we had a good one. I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> got into it, man. <laughs> it's like, you know, we good now, but you know, you get into it. You know? No way you can, you know, usually when you're married to somebody, usually you marry somebody that's opposite you. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Usually it's somebody that's completely different than what you are. So you like things one way, they like things another. There's no way you're not going to get into it. <laughs> and you think two different ways. There's no way, man. You're going to get into some things, you know? So you got to be, you got to know that that's going to happen. And there's going to have some seasons where you don't like each other. 
you question it whether you still you know, want to be with the like this. There's all kinds of things that run through your mind and relationships. But what, what's supposed to keep you is the fact that I'm committed to this. See, I made it. You see, when, when people stand in front, when people, they get married, they're not, they don't even think about what they're saying. When they begin, because you're, you're, you're not just doing it in front of your friends. You're doing it in front of God. You're making a commitment to this person. I'm going to be with you. You know, the good, the bad, and the ugly, you know, sicker, sicker, richer, poor, sicker, all this other stuff, right? You say all this stuff, and you just say it. You don't mean it. You're just saying it. Because when the rubber meets the road and that stuff really happens, you're out the door. See, you got to be you got to be willing to be committed to this thing. See, I'm talking about being prepared for this thing. You got to go in there with the thought, I'm, this is it. I'm, I'm not going nowhere. You know, I make a commitment. I'm staying. I said, OK, I said, the Bible says, you know, I shall love as Christ of the church. He said he will never leave us nor forsake us. I'm not leaving. You won't leave. You don't have to leave. I'm not going. <laughs> you decide you leave it. I can't stop you. But I'm not going. Because <laughs> I made a commitment to be here. You got to be in this thing for the long haul, man. And I put it, if you're not ready to be committed for the long haul, you're not ready for marriage. If you got plan B on your mind, you're not ready for marriage. And I put here, this is why you have to be extremely patient and careful in your choosing. Because who you're going to marry is probably the second biggest decision that you will ever make in your life. The first being whether or not you're going to choose Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. Or you're going to choose the world. That's number one. Number two is who you're going to get married to. Why? Because marriage is supposed to be a lifelong commitment. And that's why it's not a decision that you should take lightly or quickly. And I put, I put, I, I personally, I won't even marry somebody that has not been together for any length of time. Because you, people need time to get to know each other before they make a commitment like that. We've been together for three months. I, I can't marry you. <laughs> I, can't, I can't marry you. You need to have a little more time in there for that. Because you need to get to know each other. So for me, number one, while dating someone, this is for my single ladies, men too, single men. Give it time, because time is the great revealer. People will tell you or show you who they are if you give it enough time. <laughs> Never forget this. When you first start dating someone, you're not dating the real them. You're dating their representative. Because everybody puts their best foot forward. They opening doors. They, you know, they're cheating, they're smelling good, and all that stuff got their head. You know, they, I mean, they got it going. Women got their makeup on their I mean, everything is, you know, wait till the wig comes off. Wait until, you know, all this other stuff. So, you know, you got you to you gotta give it time. Everybody has an evil twin. Amen. And if you give it enough time, you'll be introduced to them. Amen. You will be introduced. Amen. Trust me when I tell you. Amen. And I put here, you need, the time, you need time to have a good fight. Just to see how mad the other person can get. 
No, for real. You got to figure out, will they put my head through a, a wall if they get mad? <laughs> like, you know, like, what are they going to do if they get angry? <laughs> you got to find out what they're like when they get upset. I'm saying, like, can this person beat me? Like, you know, like, you need to find out before you get in the before you commit yourself to that. All the signs are there. God will make sure to reveal that person to you if you give it time. And I put it also be careful about, for sure, being alone with one another. And I put meet in public places, then go home alone. Being alone opens the door to temptation. Keep yourself from fornication. It opens the door to the devil in your relationship. See the box? See the, you know, see the devil is looking for a place. He's looking for an open door so he can get in. And I, if you don't start right, you're going in right. This is the final thing I want to talk about. Now I'm going to get ready. I'm going to close. This is so important. You got to wait for the euphoria to wear off so you can see the person clearly. The first stage of every relationship is euphoria. Now, euphoria is defined as a feeling or state of intense excitement and happiness. As everybody, I'm falling in love. Oh, I just love that person. Yeah. It's so wonderful, so beautiful, so wonderful. You know, you know this, this blew my mind, but you, did you know that the number one emotional experience reported by folks is the feeling of the presence of God in their lives. That's the number one. Number two, the emotional high of being in love is the second highest emotional experience that people reportedly have. You believe that? That's why you have to wait until euphoria wears off before you can make an informed decision about the person that you're dealing with. It's extremely difficult to try to talk sense into someone who's in the midst of falling in love. Everyone else can see the faults that they're falling in love with, but them. They don't see. They don't see none of them. They're blinded to all of their issues because they're in a euphoric state. You don't see anything. I just love the person. Beautiful. I love them. Now, once the euphoria wears off, then you can see clearly. And that's when you're in a position to make a good quality decision about the person. Then, that, then you can start questioning and say, okay. Am I willing to put up with this? I remember, you know, I remember back in the day, we used to watch uh, Jerry Springer and stuff like that. <laughs> and so he would bring people on, you know. I don't want my woman, I don't want my wife wearing short dresses, you know. So whatever, you know, she, she come out, she got the real short dress on, you know. I don't want my wife wearing no short dress, you know. And so you find out, you know, that's what attracted him to her when they weren't married, right? So it's like, that's what you, you like that when you wasn't married. Now that she, now that you married her, you want to wear, you want to look like a, <laughs> you want to look like a Muslim or something like that. You want to cover all up, you know, like, <laughs> you want, and, you know, and I always thought, I looked at that thing. I said, hey, that's something, man. I said, see, you cannot, you cannot expect someone to change just because, you know, just because you're with them. That's them. That's the person. Right? And so when you, when you look at that person, you got to say, okay, am I all right with that? If they don't decide to change that, am I all right with that? That's one of the first things that God asked me right before me and Pastor Tanya got married. 
we, were, we, we spent enough time together, three and a half years. We saw each other's good, bad, you know, stuff like that, and we're like, all right. God said, if she don't never change that, do you still love her? Will you still be willing to be with her? Because people think that they're going to get in a relationship with somebody, get married to somebody, and they're going to change. They may, but you have to prepare yourself for the possibility that they won't. And if that's a deal breaker, before you get married to the person, if that's a deal breaker, then you ought not get married because they might not change that. Now, both me and my wife have grown. We matured. We change a lot of things and stuff like that. But some things still remain in both of us that we got to deal with, that we don't necessarily care for in one another. But, we, had, but, but we, were, we made a solid decision. If you don't change, if I don't change, I, I love you for who you are. Good, bad, and ugly. Faults, you know, good stuff, whatever. I love you. Right? And, and people don't take the time to make that decision because they think for some reason, oh, they're going to change. We get married, that's going to stop. They're going to change. He's cheating on you before you get married to him. He's going to be cheating on you afterwards. All right. I know. I get it. I get it. You don't want to hear this stuff. So I'll put here, once the issues are clearly seen, because everybody has them. Everybody. There's nobody that's perfect but Jesus. Everybody got something. <laughs> Not even me. <laughs> Nobody's perfect. Everybody is flawed, except for Jesus. But it's your decision as to whether or not you're willing to put up with those flaws. That's the decision that you have. Right? Again, if it's a deal break, you look at that person and say, well, I can't, I can't be with that person if they continue to do this then you're not supposed to be trying to get married to that person. Yeah. You got to determine whether or not you'll be willing to put up with it. And then you can make a quality decision as to whether or not you want to be with that person. Again, I'm talking about preparation. I'm talking about things you need to think about before you get married. I mean, there's a ton of things, man. I even probably even scratched the surface yet. But this is just some prerequisite stuff that you should be looking at prior to getting married to somebody. Take your time, you know, and let God reveal to you everything that you need to know about a person because God will reveal it if you give him time. All right. I got to get ready to close. It, it, I got to close. I got to close. I got to close. I'm, don't worry, I'm not going to do a part two to this. I'm done. <laughs> but I pray that you got something out of this. pray that it was helpful. And um, let's get ready to close. Just lift your hands to the Lord Jesus as we get ready to close. Father, in the name of Jesus, God, we just want to say thank you. We thank you for your word today. I pray, Father that you spoke to your people today. I pray that this was helpful, that this was a word in season to help and bless each and everybody that's here today and people that are watching online right now. I know that there's some single man, there's some single woman trying to make a determination on whether or not they should get married or they're still looking, they're still believing God. 
in their waiting time, I pray that you will give them the grace to prepare themselves as much as possible for getting married. Because no one's perfectly 100% prepared for marriage. But there's some things that you can do to put yourself in position. You can definitely make sure that you're committed. Because once we can make a commitment to you and to a person, you consider it to be a lifelong thing. And this was not to condemn anybody that got a divorce. This was not because of that. This is specifically for people. Because we, you know, we, we do things, right, when we don't know better. But this is an opportunity, especially for singles that are looking to get married so that they can prepare themselves properly. And Father, we just, we bless you. We thank you. This morning, we give you all the glory, the praise. We give you honor for just being a loving God. A loving God that wants to make sure that we know and that we learn and that we have the information that we need so that we can prepare ourselves for what you have for us. And Father, for it, we just want to say thank you. We bless you. God, we give you all the praise, the glory. We give you honor. In Jesus' mighty and matchless name. Amen. Amen. Now, come on, let's just give Jesus a praise. All right. And again, I'm going to say this, you know, for those watching online, anybody even here, this was not to condemn anybody that has been through a divorce or anything like that. This wasn't for that. I'm not taking pot shots at anybody. This was just to help people that are in the preparation that's trying to get ready so that they have a little more information than you may have had before you got married. You know, that's why counseling is important. A lot of people don't want to get counseling, they want to just go through it, you know. But counseling is important. Especially, again, not from somebody that's been married for two minutes. Somebody that, that, that has some experience that can, you know, share something powerful with you and help you. You know, when I counsel people, I don't talk about none of the good stuff of marriage. I'm going to talk about all of the stuff that's going to be challenging. Because the good stuff would be, you know, that, that'll that just happen. You ain't gotta, I ain't got to tell you how good marriage is. I'm going to tell you how challenging marriage can be. And then, you know, and then that's how, this, that's how I counsel. That's important. All right. We're going to get ready to close service up. We're going to do... We're going to get ready to worship God with tithes and with offerings, special giving. And then right afterwards, we're going to have a baby dedication. But we're going to worship God right now with tithes, with offerings, special giving. You know, the Bible says, honor the Lord with your substance, the first fruits of all of your increase. So shall your barns be filled with plenty of presses that will burst out with new wine. He said, bring all the tithe to the storehouse that there may be meat in my house. And prove me. Put me to the test. It's the only place that God ever said it. He said, put me to the test and see if I'll not open up for you the windows of heaven. He said, I'll pour you out blessings that you don't even have room enough to receive. He said, I'll rebuke the devourer for your sake. Tithes and offerings, they go in this envelope. You're going to write a check. You write it to the love of Jesus. You can give on your debit card. You can use your cash app at cash sign L-O-J-N-N. You can use our Giveify, a love of Jesus of North Nork. And you can use our Zell at L-O-J-N-O-R-K at gmail.com. Also, we're still taking up a special offering for our baptismal pool. You see, our baptismal pool came, right? That's our baptismal pool right there. If you want to see it, uh, I'll take the top off of it so you can see it. We're gonna, we're, it's, it's pretty much done. We just have to test it this Thursday. So I had this made. My contractor built this for us. It's absolutely awesome. It's on wheels. 
We roll it over to the utility closet, fill it up with water, and then uh, we're going to be able to baptize people. Now, I'm going to have I have a heater for the water so that it's regulated. I have I bought a jacuzzi for it. So there's like stirring up the waters, like, you know, like the pool of Bethesda. Because I'm believing not just for people getting baptized, I'm believing that they're going to do healing waters. So we're going to have a baptismal and a healing service for people that want to be healed of any kind of sickness. We're going to believe God. See, God uses the foolish things, the Bible says, to confound the wise. You think, oh, that's foolish. You know, Naaman thought it was foolish. When he got, when he dipped seven times and, and, and he got healed of leprosy, he thought it was foolish. But because he obeyed, he was healed of his leprosy. So we're going to have a major baptismal service and a healing service. That's going to come up, if not this month, early April, we're setting a date. But we're going to be in operation with our new baptismal pool. So if you want to help us out towards that, we're still you know, paying everything off. Uh, we're believing God for a little assistance. You can use this envelope, this miracle envelope, to sow a special seed. You can also use Cash App or Giveify or anything like that and sow a special offering. And to that, we greatly appreciate it. But I'm going to read this to you real quick. In Matthew 3, 13 through 15, it says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan River to be baptized of him. Jesus. And it says, But John tried to prevent him, vigorously protesting, saying, It is I who needs to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus replied to him, Permit it just now. For this is a fitting way for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then the Bible says, then John permitted him and baptized him. I say to you, if it was important for Jesus to get water baptized, it's important for you. And you know, this has been a lost thing. Somebody told me recently that some pastor told him, oh, baptism ain't important. I'm like, what? Are you serious? Oh, baptism's not important. I thought I was, I was blown away by that. If Jesus had to be baptized, why not you? So I believe that this will be the most meaningful thing that we do all year, you know, building this. We're going to do a lot of stuff, but I believe building this is one of the most meaningful things that we'll do all year. And again, we're going to have a powerful baptismal service. All right, let's go ahead and worship God with, with uh, tithes and offerings. I want to give a special thanks. Um, you know, we had a crew that helped us bring this baptismal. This thing is heavy. So, so I, I, I thank, you know, Pastor Ulrich for building it, Minister Chas, you know, Justin brought some of his guys, Solomon came, you know, and, and uh, we load this thing up on a U-Haul truck and we brought it over here. Man, that thing was seriously heavy, but we got it in here. And uh, thank you guys so much for that. I really appreciate your help with that. Also, I want to thank those that came up on Saturday, yesterday, to help clean this place. We uh, we cleaned out that, that closet was off horrendous mess and we did a spring cleaning got everything cleaned up in that closet everything is nice and organized so I want to thank you know Minister Eben uh, Marlena my mom my aunt Cecilia Alicia you know Patrick King thank you so much thank all you guys for coming to help clean this place up Chaz of course Minister Chaz King he cleaned up he fixed all those crazy wires over there so thank you so much everything so thank you guys I really appreciate you Thank you, I'll take that. All right. Stretch forth your hands towards this offering. Let's bless it. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you, Lord God, for everybody that gave.
to this offering today. Father, bless your people. Open up for them the windows of heaven. Pour them out blessings that they don't even have room enough to receive. Shower them with the blessings and favor of God. Give them more than enough where there is no lack. And Father, for we thank you. We bless you. We give you all the praise, the glory, and honor in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right. Whose birthday? Patrick's. We missed Pat's birthday. That's right, because he wasn't, he wasn't able to be here. So we're going to sing happy birthday. Come on, Pat. You ready? You're going to sing happy birthday. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you, Patrick. Happy birthday, dear Patrick. Happy birthday to you. God's blessings. God's blessings on you. God's blessings on you. God's blessings on Patrick. God's blessings on you. Let's pay for Patrick, all right? Stretch forth your hands towards him. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for Patrick and his precious life. We thank you, Father, for his life, for his service, and everything that you have used him to do even in this place. And Father, we pray that you will bless him, that you will cause this year to be the most blessed, the most prosperous, favor-filled year that he has ever experienced in his life thus far. Cause him to walk underneath an open heaven. And everything that he does and puts his hands to, let it prosper, flourish, grow, and be successful. In Jesus' mighty and matchless name. Amen. Everybody say happy birthday. Amen. And route. No, no. Nick. All right. He's on the way? All right. Okay, we're going to have baby dedication. Nixon. Nixon Maurice Winston Greenwood. <laughs> I'm telling you. We're going to have baby dedication for that. Amen, 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 amen. Hallelujah. Check him out. Look how handsome. <laughs> Make sure your parents, your parents come on up here. Hey, what's up, buddy? How you doing, man? Check you out. You look handsome today, man. Where you got to tie your shoes, man? You look handsome. <laughs> oh, man. All right. I'm going to use this. Check him out. Nixon, you look handsome, man. Hey, you look good, man. Check you out. You look good, man. You look good. Check you out. <laughs> you look like grandpa. 
Turn around. Let everybody see you, man. Turn around this way. Come. No. Chaz know what you look like. <laughs> oh, man. This is great. Amen. He's so handsome, right? So we're going to be dedicating. Thank you. Oh. So we're going to be dedicating Nixon today. And I just want to read this scripture really quick, and then we're going to do that. All right. You know, I was thinking about this. You know, this is the I was thinking about dedications. You know, we don't we don't baptize children, you know, because that's something that um, when you come of age, you make a decision that you want to give your life to Christ. So what we do with children is we dedicate them or we commit them to God, you know. And I'll give you this scripture really quick. In 2 Timothy uh, verses, uh, chapter 1, verse 12, it says, For the which cause I also suffer these things. He said, nevertheless, I'm not ashamed. Listen to this. This is what I wanted to say. For I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep, guard, protect, and retain possession of that which I have committed unto him against that day. See, so we're going to commit, right? We're going to dedicate Nixon to him. Now, the word dedicate means to devote, to assign, to pledge, and to commit. It means to entrust to the care of. And see, that's what we're going to be doing with Nixon today. We're going to entrust him to the care of the Lord. Amen? So everybody stretch forth your hands as we dedicate baby Nixon. Give me my oil. Oh, he got it. He's on point, man. He's on point. So stretch forth your hands towards Nixon. You look so handsome, man. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for Nixon. We thank you for his precious life. And Father, right now, we commit him, we dedicate to you, dedicate him to you for safekeeping and for growth. We pray, Father, in Jesus' name, that you will not allow any hurt, harm, evil, or danger to befall him, that you will cover him, that you will shield, guard, and protect him from the hand of the enemy, that you won't let any bad, evil, disgusting thing happen to him that you'll keep your hand upon him. For you said in your word that those that are in your hands, no one will ever be able to snatch out. So we commit him to you today. We put him in your hands. And we pray, Father, in the name of Jesus, that you'll keep him in the very palm of your hands and that you will cover him, shield, guard, and protect him, that you will raise him up and that he will do great things for the kingdom that he will be a blessing, that everything that he does and put his hands to will prosper, flourish, grow, and be successful, that he'll be a star, that he will be uh, he will be raised to the highest heights. Even in school, I pray that you will give him wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. I pray that he will have favor with everyone that he comes in contact with, that everybody will want to treat him well and do him well because we commit him to you today. He's yours. And Father Ford, we thank you, we bless you, we give you praise. Now, again, put your good hand upon him. Cover him as this oil is upon his head right now. Mark him in the name of Jesus. Let the mark be on him that he belongs to you and that he is yours. And that when the enemy tries to come close, he will see the anointiness upon him. And he'll have to pass over. He'll have to go. He'll have to flee in terror because your hand is upon him. And Father, for we thank you. We bless you. We give you the praise. We give you the glory and honor for doing great things in his life. In Jesus' 
mighty and matchless name. Amen. Amen. Now, come on, give God a praise. Amen. 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 And then, of course, you guys are charged with this safekeeping. But where your hand ends, God's hand begins. Amen. And he just wants to play piano. He don't care. <laughs> Amen. Nixon going to play the drums, piano, everything. He got the music in him, right? That, mu that music is, uh, is ingrained in, in, in all of the family, right? So it's good. <laughs> well, I love you. Bless you. You don't play those drums. Bless you, mommy. <laughs> Amen. Oh, he playing the drums now. Go ahead, play us out, Nixon. Everybody stand up on your feet. Let me bless you as we get ready to go. Then we can take pictures. <laughs> oh, he's going. <laughs> the Lord bless you, keep you. The Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious and merciful and kind to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you. Grant you his holy peace in Jesus' matchless name. Or everybody say, I'm blessed and I can't be cursed. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. The Lord bless you. I love you. Have a great, great rest of your day. Thursday night, we have our school of ministry. Make sure you come. We have uh, Pastor Melissa Miller with us. Her first session was awesome. You should come for the second. Make sure you don't miss it. The Lord bless you. 6 p.m. Thursday evening. God bless you. Fellowship with us at the Love of Jesus Church of North Newark, led by Pastors Gavin and Tanya Taylor, where our mission is to find a need and meet it, find a hurt and heal it, find a problem and solve it.